Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor around here. So it's the Christmas season, right? It's, I'm, I love Christmas. I can't believe it's finally December. It was just March, I think, last week. Um, but, you know, it took a while for me to get into the Christmas spirit, but I'm finally in it. Um, I love all the decorations. I don't do the outside of the house because that just takes a lot more work than I'm willing to put in. But we definitely do the inside of the house and I love the music and it just, it's a great time of year. And so if you're not in the Christmas spirit yet, I hope that today's service and in the upcoming weeks, you might be able to join us sort of in this joyful time. Um, but the thing about scripture, let me just say this because I was reading it this week for preparation. The thing about scripture is that if you look carefully at what you're reading, you will find some hidden details about people and about events in locations you wouldn't expect to find them. For example, let's take Moses, right? When we think Moses, we think Old Testament. Um, we think the first five books of the Bible because he wrote those. And if you want to find something out about Moses' life, you would go to the Old Testament to find those details out. Well, it just so happens that we learn this sort of hidden nugget of information about Moses' life in the New Testament, in this book called A Letter to the Hebrews, that were it not for this book written thousands of years after his life, we wouldn't know this particular detail about him. Well, it's the same thing with Christmas. If you're a Christian, if you're a church person, when you think Christmas and, and the story of Jesus' birth, you think the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because it's in these Gospels that tell the story of Jesus. And so that's where you would look to find his birth. Well, a couple of weeks ago, in preparation for our series on Paul, I found one of these hidden details about Christmas in a location that I was not expecting it to be in. Paul was writing a letter to his friends in Galatia. We talked about our Roman jailer buddy. Well, he was writing a letter to this group, and he mentioned something about Christmas amidst all of this deep theological conversation. He says this in Galatians 4.4. But when the time was right, God sent his son, and a woman gave birth to him. Now, when I stumbled upon this a couple of weeks ago, I actually pushed my chair back from the computer because I was amazed. I'd never seen this before, this detail about Christmas amidst this very deep letter. You ever experienced that before when you're reading the Bible, if you're a person that reads the scripture, maybe you're reading a passage that you've read like a million times. You almost have it memorized. And then one day, out of the blue, some verse pops out and you're like, I've has this always been here? Because I've never seen this before. And it just happens to be the exact thing that you needed to hear that day. Well, that's what happened with me with this verse. What struck me most about this verse is how Paul describes Christmas happening when the time was right. And I just found that hidden detail to be fascinating. Because scripture says that God has a plan for this world. And his plan was to rescue us from our sins, to save us from our sins, and to reestablish that relationship that humans had broken in the Garden of Eden. And what this verse tells me, this hidden verse in the middle of Galatians, what this verse tells me is that for thousands of years, maybe even tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years, we don't really know the timetable, God was waiting for Christmas to come. He was waiting and he was watching us. And he's building our faith. And he was building our trust. 
And for all those years, he was allowing human history to unfold. And just as the Roman Empire began to take shape, connecting the world effectively for the very first time, he watched. And I have to imagine that as it's around, let's call it 1 BC, those last final days, I imagine God is up there in heaven getting excited, saying to Jesus, saying to the angels, it's almost time for Christmas. We're almost there. Watch. Look, wait, not yet. Wait now. And at just the right time, God pulled the lever, launching his plan to save the world at just the right time. Everything had fallen into place. Everything had lined up perfectly just as he wanted it to be, which means that it was just the right time for Mary. And it was just the right time for Joseph. And it was just the right time for the shepherds and the wise men. And I would argue even Herod. And I'm starting to wonder with everything that we've gone through in 2020, that maybe just maybe Christmas is coming at just the right time for us. And so in this series, what we're going to do is we're just going to take a look at what happened when God pulled the lever on his plan at just the right time. How did that plan impact those people involved in the birth of Jesus? And how might his plan impact us today in 2020? So to kick off this first week, I want to take a look at Mary, the mother of Jesus, because she really played a prominent role in God's plan. So her story kicks off in Luke, one of the Gospels, in chapter 1, and we're going to jump in at verse 26. And it kind of comes in the middle of the story, and so it says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So that's how Mary's story begins in someone else's timeline. Now, who is Elizabeth? Elizabeth is Mary's much older cousin. Scripture actually says that she was very old. And when the Bible says someone is very old, that means they are very old. And in the first 26 verses, which I have skipped for you guys, um, it lets us know that Elizabeth was barren her whole life, unable to have children. And yet six months ago, the angel Gabriel came into her life and said, Elizabeth, I got good news. You and your husband, you're going to have a child. Now, this was a miracle birth. This was a Christmas miracle. It wasn't a virgin birth, which means that, you know, these two ancient people actually had to, you know, which is kind of a Christmas nightmare when you think about it. But anyway, they would have this child promised to them, and he would go on to be John the Baptist. And it says that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent that same angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. Now we know that she was engaged, it says, to be married to a man named Joseph who was a descendant of King David. Let's camp out here for a second because a couple of things we can learn. Number one, it tells us that she was engaged to be married. So according to Jewish tradition of this time, we're talking first century Judaism, if a woman were to be engaged to be married, that tells us that she was, and get ready for this, anywhere from 12 to about 15. So most likely Mary is about a sixth grader, which is hard to consider in, in the 21st century, but their time spans were a lot shorter than ours and everything got moved up. So it's hard to imagine a sixth grader getting married. It's even more difficult to imagine a sixth grader being entrusted with the savior of the world. Right? It's hard to picture God up there in heaven going, you know what, let's give Jesus to Becky. I think she can handle this right about now. Now, the other thing with engagement is that the Jewish engagement at this time was different than how we kind of think about engagement. For us, you propose, 
you're engaged for a few months, some of you guys for years and years and years, um, and then eventually you do get married. But at this time, Mary and Joseph would have been technically married already. Okay, a couple of things are different though. They wouldn't have lived together yet during this betrothal period, and they would not have consummated the relationship until the wedding feast, which could be upwards of a year down the road. But for those of you who are married and who have just gotten married and who are getting ready to be married, you know that this engagement time, it's exciting. Because what happens? What do you do? You dream about your future. This is Mary right now. She's planning this wedding. She's thinking about what it's going to look like to get married. She goes, you know what, Joseph? I think I want to get this venue. My friend Susie, she got married there. It's great. I want to see if we can lock that down. I want to have these colors. I want to have this cake. And you start thinking about your honeymoon. Where do you want to go? What should we do? Should we go to Napa, do some wine tasting? Do you want to go to the Tuscany? I heard the grip is late like Tuscany. We should try that. Maybe we go to Spain. I don't know. It's really exciting. Hey, Joseph, by the way, we got to get a house because we're going to move in when we finally get to that wedding feast. And I was on Zillow. I found a really nice house. You've got to do the kitchen over, but I've been following designer on Instagram and we can do white towels and we can do bronze fixtures. Oh, and by the way, that I mentioned, it has a white picket fence. Oh, it's perfect. And we can get a dog, a yellow lab. We can name him Tucker. We can have two kids, a boy and a girl, and it's going to be so wonderful. We all did this. I mean, your plans might look slightly different, but we all had plans for our lives. We saw those plans unfolding perfectly and it made us happy because we were in control of all of our plans, and all of our happiness, and all of our future. And then, out of nowhere, as we're living out our perfectly planned lives, you're throwing a curveball. Something you didn't plan for, something you didn't expect, something that wasn't on the agenda, something that wasn't on the docket, something that would interrupt your life. And Mary, in this moment, thought she had her whole life figured out. Everything planned perfectly. But little did she know that God had just pulled the lever on his plans. And God's plans would interrupt Mary's plans. So the angel Gabriel, he shows up. It says that she, he appears to her and says, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. So Picture this scene. You've got this sixth grader out behind her house, under a tree, you know, working on her Pinterest board, minding her own business, when this gigantic angel shows up out of nowhere. And she has two reactions. She's confused and she's disturbed. That's a normal reaction considering the circumstances. And she's just trying to make sense of all of this. And I think Gabriel can tell that Mary is a little freaked out. And so he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, okay? Don't be afraid. For you have found favor with God. He says, I, I can see that I've startled you. My appearance tends to do that to people, especially when I come out of nowhere. And, and I can see you're trying to figure out everything that I've explained to you, but you don't need to be afraid because my being here, well, it's a good thing. God has been watching you. And he's had a plan for your life. And then Gabriel walks this sixth grader through God's plan. He says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you'll name him Jesus. Now Mary's eyes are starting to get huge and he goes, wait, 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 wait. there's more, there's more. He goes, he will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. 
the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, this was not the news that she was expecting. I mean, 15 minutes ago, she was dreaming about, you know, bridesmaids' dresses. How do I find one that'll make all my friends look really bad? Okay, we're talking about a cake. We're, we're planning a honeymoon. Now, she's being told that she's going to conceive and she's got to name the baby. Was it Jesus? Was that the name? And he's going to have an eternal kingdom? God's plan looked nothing like Mary's plan at all. And it begs the question, what do you do when God interrupts your plans? Now, according to scripture, Jesus and God love to interrupt plans. According to scripture, Jesus and God do some of their best work through interrupting humans' plans. Think back for a second. God interrupted Moses' life with the burning bush. God interrupted a 17-year-old boy's life named David. Gave him some pretty big news. Jesus interrupted the lives of all of the disciples as they were fishermen, as they were tax collectors. He goes, that's great. You're going you're to follow me now. Jesus interrupted Paul on the road to Damascus. Now we see with Mary, chances are because God loves you, he's going to interrupt your life as well. So what do you do when God steps in and says, look, I know you thought you were going that way, but I'm going to need you to go this way. Reminds me of something that Solomon, who, according to scripture, is the wisest man that ever lived, something that he wrote in Proverbs. When he said, people may make plans in their minds, but the Lord decides what they'll do. God, according to scripture, has a tendency of showing up and interrupting what we're doing. And far too often, we sort of look at God's interruptions as, as being an inconvenience, we view his, his interruptions to our lives as sort of a, an annoying set of circumstances or some frustrating event or maybe really just some bad timing. But according to scripture, we really should embrace and welcome God's interruptions to our plans. Let me tell you why. Because God's plan for your life is bigger than your plan for your life. God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. See, here's the thing about our plans. Our plans, they're safe. But we structure our days and our lives and our careers to avoid weaknesses. And I think that's normal. I mean, we have that phrase, you know, play to your strengths. But the thing with safe plans is that they keep us in our comfort zone. Safe plans don't stretch us at all. They don't challenge us. And they certainly don't cause us to use all of our God-given talents when we're playing it safe. Now, the other thing about our plans, and I could say this to you because we're all friends, but if we're being honest, a lot of our plans are self-serving. Just take a moment and think about your life plan. It's all about us, right? I want to get this job. I want to get that new house. Then I want to get that new car. Then I want to travel. I want to go here and I want to go there. And I want to retire at this age, and I want to have this much money in the bank at this point. None of these things is bad. Don't get me wrong. But they're all for our own benefit. We have planned out our entire lives for us. 
And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I just firmly believe God wants more for your life. And so when God interrupts your life, it means that he wants to speak new truths to us. When God interrupts your life, it means he wants to lead us in a new direction. And when God interrupts your life, it means he wants to infuse new purpose and new meaning into our lives. See, I think God's interruptions mean that we're not forgotten. We're not forsaken. We're not just some afterthought. God's interruptions means that the creator of the universe has designed something specifically for you. And so Mary hears this plan designed specifically for her. And it's a big plan. And she only has one question. But how? How can this happen? (laughs) I'm a virgin. Gabriel, uh, this doesn't add up. God's plan doesn't seem to make sense at all. What you're asking me to do doesn't seem like something I can do. Now, for us, when we begin to sort of discern and hear God's plan for our life, I think we say things like, wait, 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 God, you want me to do what? God, you want me to go where? You want me to change jobs now? You want me to move? You want me to break up with him? You want me to stop? You want me to start? See, when God calls us out of our comfort zone, when God pushes us in a new direction, we start to do all the calculations as to how this plan is going to work. Mary's no different. And so so she asks, how? How's this going to work? Gabriel gives her an answer. He explains the how of the virgin birth. He says, look, here's how it happens. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And this word overshadow is a really interesting word. If you've ever read the creation story in Genesis, when God's spirit hovers over the water creating, that word hovers is this exact same word overshadowed here. Gabriel says the reason it's got to happen like this is so the baby will be born holy and he'll be called the son of God. Now, I don't really think this cleared things up for Mary, which goes to show you that even if God were to explain all of his plans for your life, all of the reasons why he's doing what you're doing and why you're going through this and why this happened, I don't think it would even add up still. But Gabriel continues to try to help her understand this plan for her life. And he goes, all right, let me tell you this too. Your cousin Elizabeth in her old age, has conceived a son. This is the sixth month for her. A woman who people used to say was barren. He's like, Mary, clearly God is doing something in this world right now. And I understand it doesn't add up. To us, Gabriel might say, look, I understand that God is pushing you right now out of your comfort zone. I understand that God is calling you to Trust him with details that you don't understand. And I understand that you're tempted to think, this is, this is not in my gift set. This is not what I was trained for. Uh, I'm not sure I can handle this. Uh, God, are you sure you got the right person for the job? 
But Gabriel would tell us just as he told Mary. With God, you see, nothing's impossible. When God interrupts your life and calls you to do the seemingly impossible, we don't have to calculate the how we're going to manage it because it's not going to add up anyway. All we need to do is trust. And so in this moment, as this sixth grader looks up into the eyes of this enormous angel, she utters what is perhaps the most important response in human history. Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. This new direction that God was calling her in didn't make any sense at all. And it had a lot of potential risks. But in faith, she trusted God with her future. And because she said yes to God's plan, Mary's life was changed. Because she said yes to God's plan, what looked a little scary and didn't make any sense, the world was changed. And Christmas, well, it came to be. And I think one of the most important things that we can learn from this story is that when it comes to God's plans, God's plans require bigger calculations. When you encounter God's plan for your life or when you see that he's leading you in a new direction or when he's challenging you to do something new or perhaps some obstacle has been put into your life, that you had never planned for, we begin to do all the calculations as to how we're going to figure it out. And we start to calculate God's plans in terms of the cost to me. What's the cost to me? If I say yes, if I follow God's plan, if I follow his path, if I take his lead, what must I give up? What must I surrender How must I submit? What must I sacrifice? How will my plans change? But in the economy of God, if you will, this is a small, narrow, self-focused view. Mary teaches us that when it comes to God's plan for your life, we actually need to calculate it in terms of cost to others. Meaning, what or who hangs in the balance if I decide to say no, God. Because you can say no to God. Stick with me. Think about how many people were blessed by Mary's act of faith. Think about how many people were blessed through the work of Jesus Christ. Think about how the world was radically different because she said yes. What if she said no? Because God's plans just cost her too much. What would that have cost us? This tells me that God's plan for our life is bigger than our life. That our decision to say yes to God's plan potentially is vitally important for those around you. Because who knows the far-reaching effects that your act of faith might have in the people in your life. Or perhaps people that you don't even know or may never even meet. Who will be potentially positively impacted by you saying yes to God? Who might be eternally impacted by your decision to submit your life to God's will? So, what's the practical? 
What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure that you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So here's my challenge this week. I think this Christmas, I think maybe it's just the right time for us to release your grip. I think so many of us, all of us perhaps, are holding so tightly to our lives and to our plans and to our futures. And I get that. I do. And I think we do that because we believe that we can work everything out. That, that if we plan hard enough, that, that we can actually make it all happen. Ultimately, I think what we're trying to do is, I think we're looking for assurance. I think we want to we sort of find assurance that our future is going to be safe, that our future is going to be secure, that our future is going to be bright. But according to Scripture, the only way that you're actually going to have peace and assurance about your future is to say yes to God and his plans. One of the greatest promises in Scripture that's given actually specifically to Christians and, and, and Christians alone is found in Romans 8.28. This is a verse many of you may have memorized, but Paul wrote this. We know, we have confidence that God makes all things. And when he says all things, he means all things. That God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him and are chosen to be a part of his plan. And so when you say yes to Jesus, you then are given the assurance that God's taking care of you. You are given the assurance to know that God is watching out for you. That whatever comes your way, whatever interruption enters your life, whatever path God may put you on or show you will ultimately, whether you realize it or not, will ultimately be for your good and his glory. Now, 2020 changed all of our plans. That's for sure. And it's clear that God is doing something in this world. So maybe, just maybe, it's just the right time for all of us to embrace the interruption because it could change the world and it will definitely change your life. Let me pray for you. Dear Father, I want to thank you that we have the opportunity to come together today in the midst of everything that's going on, that we can pause and, and come together live, and even those who are watching right now online. I want to thank you for the story of Christmas. I want to thank you, Lord, for the gift of Jesus, but I'm just so grateful that the story of Mary has been saved for us. Because I think... We all struggle with the plans for our lives. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle it? Where are we going to go? And, and we're just trying to keep such a tight control. And I think, honestly, Lord, we end up giving ourselves more anxiety than peace. And knowing what I know about you, Lord, you throw forks in the road to put us in a new direction, in a better direction. And we might not understand it, and it might look like it has a lot of risks, but I pray that this season, you would give us the faith to say yes, leave the consequences up to you. Because ultimately, Lord, you want the best for us. 
So be with us today during this time. Give us the strength to embrace the interruptions that you've given to us. Because who knows, who knows how it could change our lives and how it could change this world. And we'll be sure to give you all the glory. We ask all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.